Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear 16-year-old Chrissy, you are allowed to chill. You are allowed to get out of competition and you don't have to be perfect at everything. Find the things that you're good at, let go of the things that you're not great at, and just love yourself. Just be. That is what I would want to tell my 16-year-old self. I love it. I think we could all use that advice. Just be and not being so competitive, right? I feel like we're kind of hardwired and our society teaches us to have a competition. And I think that can be so detrimental to ourselves by trying to compete with everybody. Yeah. Like I was just such a perfectionist always. I think you can work hard without being a perfectionist. My 16 year old me was taking all AP classes in all of the subjects, trying to get straight A's in all of the subjects, playing varsity soccer and club soccer And I wish I could just go back and be like, hey, you don't have to be good at everything. Find a couple things that you love that you're really good at and put your time and energy in there. And if you take regular physics instead of AP physics, it doesn't mean that you're dumb. (laughs) And I was bad at science and math stressed me out. And guess what? I'm a really successful therapist without needing to know science or math. (laughs) I wish that I had given myself permission to be human a lot sooner. Yeah. One thing that I feel like is a healthy practice is to think, these are the things I'm good at and you have other talents that you're good at and that's okay. Like we don't have to be the same type of person or we don't have to have the same strengths. And I think it's really easy to compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths and then feel bad about it. Yes. We always compare our weaknesses to somebody else's strengths. And we need to stop. Today on the podcast, I have one of my dear friends, Chrissy Lawler. She is amazing. I met Chrissy about six years ago in Dallas, and I just had one little kid at the time, and we would always meet and do play dates, and it's been really fun to watch her. Chrissy is a marriage and family therapist, and she also is a sleep consultant. If you have a little one, you might be familiar with her on Instagram. She's known as the Peaceful Sleeper, and she's just done amazing work teaching moms and dads how to sleep train their kids. She wrote a book called The Peaceful Sleeper, and she's been able to help so many people. And I just wanted to hear her story of how she got into this and for her to share a little bit about what she's learned about relationships and sleep and all of the things. She is so wise. I feel like we could have a million interviews with her and talk about different topics. She is a delight and I hope you enjoy her story. So Chrissy, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for work. Okay, so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I've been doing that for 11 years now. And I am a sleep consultant. So 
kind of a little bit of like my origin story. I'd been doing counseling for a while and I started to notice that my clients who were the most stuck were the ones who weren't sleeping. So the moms that were stuck in depression or anxiety or kind of feeling disenchanted with motherhood or constantly mad at their spouses or, you know, even with men, like the CEOs who were so stressed out and overwhelmed, like the people that weren't sleeping were struggling the most. And as an insomniac myself and a perfectionist, like I said, I hated that like my main thing was like, the, I don't know, sleep's hard when you get older, like the, try some like oil or something, but let's talk about the real issues. Like I started to notice that sleep was a very real issue. So I got trained to treat chronic insomnia. I stopped blowing that off as a clinical issue. And then I had children myself and realized, holy cow, I do not do well when I haven't slept. And this is frankly, ruining my experience of motherhood. Like I had postpartum depression and anxiety. I was overwhelmed. I was caught in comparison traps. I was insecure, feeling inadequate. It was all the things. And I knew if I could just get better sleep, I would be doing so much better. But when you're a young mom, it's like, it was totally different than just my insomnia days because it wasn't my own body's fault that I wasn't sleeping well. It was my sweet little baby. It was a different little body's fault that I wasn't sleeping well. And so I read everything I could get my hands on about baby sleep. I felt super overwhelmed. One of my biggest beefs with parenting literature is that it's super shaming. It's a lot of other people say this, but other people are dumb and wrong. And this is what the right way is. And if you don't do it this way, then you're dumb and wrong and your baby's going to suffer and it's going to be all your fault. And as an anxious perfectionist, I was like, oh, I don't want to screw up my kid, but everybody's telling me that all of the ways are bad and wrong. I actually remember having a conversation with you one time because we were talking about parenting books and different things like that. You know, we were saying, oh, you have this little baby and then you might do things the wrong way. And then and I remember you just saying, if you're reading a parenting book totally. and you're trying, you're really not going to mess up your kid. But they make it sound like, oh, sorry, this first child that you had, they're just ruined. Maybe totally. maybe your next kid, you'll do better. You kind of start feeling like, oh, there's this only one way to do things. Kids are so different and their temperaments are so different. And trying to figure out, okay, how do I discipline this kid? How do I do all these things? And then mm-hmm. you're like, well, there's only one way. But that's a good reminder. There's more than one way to do things. Totally. And so that's what I've tried to do with the peaceful sleeper is empower moms to be their own child's parenting expert. Like you are the expert of your experience. You are the expert on your baby. I'm going to teach you how to read their cues, how to play detective, how to feel empowered to meet your baby's needs in a way that works for you so that mom and baby can be securely attached and thrive. And when we have confidence as moms and when everybody's getting good sleep, that helps us thrive. And it pays off in our own mental well-being. It pays off in our marriage. It pays off in our experience of motherhood. And so I kind of, like baby sleep is kind of the vehicle that I've chosen to focus on, but really my mission is I want moms to feel empowered and confident and happy in motherhood and marriage. That's so awesome. And you do such a good job. You're amazing. I 
I can't believe all that you've been able to do and accomplish. I want to take a step back though and see how you were able to get on this journey. So tell us a little bit about what you were like as a kid. You were kind of talking about what you were like as a teenager, but what were you like when you were young? And So my nickname my whole life was Bossy Boss. So if that <laughs> tells you anything... I have three older brothers and one little sister, but my sister is eight years younger than me. So most of my like early childhood, I was the first girl after three boys. And even still, like I am 33 years old and my dad will still tell people that he has three sons and two angels. My brothers give us so much crap. Even our first car, my oldest brothers got very small car budgets and like 15 to 20 year old first cars. And me and my sister both got brand new Mustang GTs. Like what? (laughs) What? What has happened? How come Ben got an 18 year old MR2 and Chrissy and Ashley got a brand new, my little sister got a brand new Shelby Mustang. And I was like, what? (laughs) What is happening? My brothers are like, this is BS. I definitely grew up very loved, very privileged, and spoiled for sure, especially from my dad. But I also, one of the things that I think shaped me, but I resented it a little bit as a kid, is there, it felt like there were a lot of double standards. From my dad, it was double standards in like the being spoiled realm with my brothers, but from my mom, it was... She was a lot more strict with girls. Um, It was just, there was a very big difference in boys and girls in my family. Um, Even like one of the things, and I know that she was joking, but one of the things I think that shaped me a lot is if I would say something dumb as a kid, my mom would kind of laugh and she'd say like, oh, well, at least she's pretty. And so there was kind of this like, this mixed message of like, you're a girl and you're still allowed to be smart and impressive. But also if you're not, because you're a girl, it's like totally fine and to be expected. And so I think I really grew up with this like chip on my shoulder or something of like, I can run with the boys. Like I can be smart. I can be impressive. I have to prove myself because I'm a girl. And I even remember in college, like there, there's one boy I went on a date with and I was just like talking about something. And he just looked at me with this like sweet little smile. And he was like, wow, I had no idea that you were like smart. And I wanted to just like flip him off and be like, F you, I'm probably smarter than you are. So you're like, the date is now over. Yes. And so like, I definitely grew up with a little bit of this like edge of I need to prove myself and I guess if we circle back to the letter to myself like that that it definitely showed like I felt like I had to do everything and be everything because I'm a girl and I need to prove that I can which I think in some ways and I think everybody could say this about lots of different aspects of their childhood and growing up but I think in some ways that was really good for me And in some ways, it added a lot of unnecessary pressure and was probably toxic in a lot of ways. But, I mean, challenge is what makes us grow. And 
luckily now at 33, I've figured a lot more of that out and can figure out how to chill. I'm like, hey, I don't need to prove myself. It's fine. But Well, it's hard too because there's there's a hard balance of even teaching kids, okay, chill out a little bit, but also have drive to to keep going when you're in college and you're um, writing these 20 page papers, your dissertations or different things like that. You need to have something that pushes you to, to keep going, to keep fighting for that. It's hard to have a healthy balance. Where does this stem from? Does it stem from trying to prove to other people that you're better than them or that you have this drive to be able to be the best version of yourself. Yes, exactly. And I think what I have realized for myself and what I try to teach my kids is I realized that a lot of my own drive was very fear-based. It was like, I'm not good enough unless I do X, Y, Z, and then I can prove that I'm good enough. And what I want to teach my kids is you are good enough and go go work hard, do cool things, be impressive because I know that you can. If the motivation is flip-flopped, like you are good enough just as you are. So now go have fun with it and accomplish and achieve and work hard and let's see what cool things you can do. It's so different than like, you're not good enough unless you prove yourself. I'm curious what your girls will end up doing. Even just as little girls, I haven't been around them very much as they've been older, but they're the cutest full of personality, fun little girl. They will do amazing oh, I'm I'm excited to watch. I think, yeah, they are such sweet little girls and so much spunk and energy and they're tenacious and it's it's fun being a girl mom. I remember going to a seminar once and you knew Maddie back in these days, but there are, so Maddie, my oldest, she, oh gosh, she's just a little firecracker, but she is so sweet. And so I remember once she was two And I was like, Maddie, I need you to clean the toy room. And she just looked at me with the sweetest smile. And she just said, no, mm -mm, I'm not going to. And I was like, no, I need you to pick up the toy room. Like, go pick up 10 things. And she's like, "Mm, uh uh-uh, no, that's not going to (laughs) work. And I was like, ah! Now now that I have four kids, I can see that as more age-appropriate. But when our two strong wills came together, I was like, ah! I don't know what to do. And I remember going to this parenting seminar once and the woman just smiled at me and she said, what an honor and a privilege it is to raise a strong woman. And I thought, you know what? It is. I, and I've, I've held that ever since. So that sweet woman has no idea that she like totally changed my life by that one saying, but that's, that's what I try to keep in mind. Every, every struggle that I have, I just remind myself, this is an honor and a privilege to raise strong women. That's awesome. So yesterday we had a rough day. Liam found paint in our storage room and dumped blue paint all over our brand new carpet. I tried cleaning it, didn't work. So we had to hire this carpet cleaner. And when he walks in the door, he's (laughs) and looks at it, he goes, (laughs) OMG. I was like, no, it's not in the carpet, guys. Like, I've never seen anything like this. he was, he was really nice. He was telling me the opposite problem would be worse of having kids that aren't curious, that aren't getting into things. He's going to do great things one day. Sometimes it is a little difficult in the the toddler form, those strong-willed kids probably just looking at me being like, it's all right. It, it'll all work out. He <laughs> It's so funny. So. Yeah, seriously. But it is like, it can be such a tr- trial 
sometimes the things that will eventually be so great and wonderful. And so I feel like as parents, I have this constant dialogue of like, don't crush the magic. Like don't, don't dim the sparkle. We just have to shape it. But we want, we want these things to be there. You know, so when Maddie is still at eight is very strong-willed and very stubborn and doesn't take no for an answer, I have to remind myself, like, that I want her to be stubborn and tenacious and a go-getter. I just, ooh, this yeah. is a challenge right now. <laughs> totally, totally. It, that's, it's a great reminder. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a therapist? The honest answer is my parents had a really strained, tumultuous marriage. And I went to a private school that was 45 minutes away from my house. So every morning on the way to school, it was just me and my mom chatting which unfortunately a lot of times was my mom kind of like venting to me about her marriage struggles. But the flip side of that is like, I could totally understand my dad's perspective. I could totally understand my mom's perspective and I wanted them to be able to work it out. And so I kind of, I kind of jumped into an inappropriate therapist role at that age. And then I also had a lot of friends. I think because, you know, I went to this private school where there were a lot of like high income families, but a lot of parents that worked a lot that maybe didn't have their eyes on their kids a whole lot. Um, there was a lot of suicide and suicide ideation at my school, a lot of drug use, a lot of self-harm. Uh, and I was just exposed to that from a really young age. So I remember, you know, being in eighth grade and my best friend told me that she wanted to kill herself. And so I was trying to keep her alive and, you know, talking to the school counselor with her and like, oh my gosh, she just overdosed. What do we do? Or like, she just took a handful of pills. What do we do? And now I look back and I wish I could tell that sweet little girl, like, get, get some adults involved. This is too much for you to be handling. But I think from a really young age, I just kind of was shaped to see the struggles underneath and want to help. And so, you know, Take, take the natural heart that I had for that. And then I have a very entrepreneurial family. And so I think it just kind of all came together of like, oh, I have a heart for this. Now I have this skill set. And now I want to create a business. So then once you started doing therapy that you noticed people were having sleep problems, when did you actually start becoming a sleep counselor or what's sleep the right consultant is like the quote-unquote official okay. term um okay so that actually was after we moved from Dallas so you know when Tom was in school I was working part-time I had a private practice private practice came very naturally to me but then we moved to Las Vegas and you can't just move to a brand new state and boom have a full private practice with a wait list and so I had all of this energy of like wait, I'm, I'm used to seeing 20 clients a week. I'm used to having a caseload and now here I am and I have two clients. Uh, what am I supposed to do? And I also had, I just had some other experiences like helping friends sleep train their babies or just giving sleep advice in a very casual kind of at the park setting. And I'm the beneficiary <laughs> of a lot of chats where we're like, what do we do? <laughs> when you moved away we need our Chrissy hour to to be able to ask all these questions because you just seem to be an expert on not just sleep but oh you're so sweet you're so sweet 
So yeah, when we moved to Las Vegas, I didn't have much of a therapy caseload yet. And I, it just kind of all culminated. And I just thought, you know what, I can be a voice in the space for all of these moms that are overwhelmed and disenchanted with motherhood to just teach them how to be empowered, to be their own child's parenting expert and their own child sleep expert, and just like, hey, this is okay. And you can sleep train your baby, and it won't damage your attachment. I found so many moms were scared of sleep training because of some blogs that were going around and some some kind of misinformation or misunderstandings. And it's like, no, 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 like we can help our babies get good sleep. It doesn't have to be the like, oh yeah, I just let my baby scream for four hours and then the next night it was better. Like, no, that doesn't feel good for anybody. And if that's what you think sleep training has to be, then of course you don't want to do it. Yeah, I think the problem is when we have the extremes of thinking that you either have to be the super mean parent that sleep trains their kid and is has no compassion, or you can be the kind parent that will coddle your child and never teach them how to sleep. Exactly. And so I just kind of realized, like, I want to be a voice in this space to help moms have a better experience of motherhood and to feel empowered to get good sleep, whatever that looks like for your family. I don't know why this memory, like, stands out in my mind, but I remember I was sitting on the couch in our old house with my laptop on my lap and Tom was about to walk upstairs and I was like, I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do like baby sleep stuff and like help moms and babies get better sleep. And he just kind of like looked at me over his shoulder and he's like, yeah, sure, whatever you want. And then he just like walked upstairs. (laughs) Like it was just like no big deal. Me throwing out an idea again. And I remember thinking like, I'm actually going to do this. Like you just, you just wait. You just had a big life altering epiphany of what I want to do. And he's like, sure. Sounds uh-huh, good. Totally. But I think it probably in some ways sparked the like, all right, I, you're, you're acting like this isn't that big of a deal, but I'm going to, uh, I'll show you, which like, let me be clear. My husband is the most supportive guy on the planet. Like he's so awesome. And he never doubted me for a second. I think he just hadn't realized in that, like, 10 second conversation that like a fire had gotten lit in me and I was like wait I'm gonna like do this because I have a lot of ideas like my ADD brain bounces around with a lot of ideas like oh I could do this I should do that and so I don't blame him for not realizing that like this time it was different yeah no Tom is awesome so tell us a little bit about your family and how you've been able to balance this whole sleep consultant and therapist and mom and all of that how have you been able to find a balance um, well i mean it's been a it's been a process as anything is and i think my stubbornness has just totally come through here of like no i can i can do it all i want to figure this out and i know for myself like i was just not cut out to be a stay at home mom I saw my own mom with her mental health struggles and kind of like being a mom was all that she had. She kind of lost her identity in that and then became very resentful of my dad who had a career that was fulfilling to him and became really resentful towards the kids when we turned into teenagers and had our own lives, you know? And so I knew I I wanted to 
be able to have it all. And a lot of people say, like, you can't have it all or, like, you can't have it all but not all at the same time. And I just, like, no, I want to figure it out. I, I want to figure it out. And so it's been different pieces at different times kind of adding one thing at a time to juggle. But, you know, when I first started out doing private practice, I would just go to work when Tom got home from school. And I saw three clients in the evening. I would put my baby down for bed at 6 and then go to work. And I would see clients from 6.30 to 9.30, like two or maybe three nights a week. And then I did like a Mother's Day Out program that I sent Maddie to so that I could work a little bit on Fridays too. And then as my practice grew, we just, it just kind of, it, really organically just grew and developed. So then I had a friend from church that would babysit, you know, one day a week because she was a stay-at-home mom with her own kids. So I think I paid, it was Grace Ann. Do you remember Grace Ann? I paid her. Now, now I feel like I just robbed this sweet girl, but she was at home with just her one child. And so I paid her $6 an hour and she watched Maddie too, and it was great, and she was so sweet and full of love, and Maddie loved it at her house, and it was awesome. And then as I had more kids, I just kind of kept branching out and figuring out childcare. and now, I mean, now we have the sweetest au pair from Germany. She's 19 years old. We love her so much. She's totally part of our family. She lives with us, and she just is my right-hand gal, and so I feel like I am only, for anybody, the thing is, like, as moms, I feel like we do so much comparison, and I always want to tell people that see from the outside, like, oh my gosh, how do you do it all? And I want to just stop everybody in their tracks and say, I have so much help. I don't do it all. I have an entire team of people that are behind the scenes helping me every single step of the way. And this isn't the path for everybody. Like not every mom, you know, when I, when I had Maddie, I got really into making bows and I like made all of her curtains and like, like I had this extra energy and I was like, I want to do something else. Like, what do I want to do? And so I went through different phases of interests and hobbies. And I like went through a phase where I was refinishing furniture and I went through a phase where I was sewing and I went through a phase where I was making bows and it just none of that stuff fulfilled me like this does and so but I would tell any especially any young mom really any mom at any stage like just experiment and like give yourself permission to follow your passions and to figure out what you want to do and just let things unfold one step at a time and do not compare your step one or two or four to somebody else's step 12,000. We cannot compare or else we just get caught up and we doubt and we give up. But just keep chipping away at it. I didn't start out with 45 hours a week of childcare and two businesses. Like I started out with two clients in private practice. Yeah, and I like that it was step-by-step and that it's evolved over time and that you've kind of had to figure out and I'm sure you have to reevaluate over and over again. Is this still working yes, for us? Like, I'm constantly. Is everyone having their needs met? You know, am I okay? Am I adding too much? Or am I having enough time with my husband? And all those things. And so sometimes I think we 
put ourselves in a box of you have to pick your career when you're 18 years old and you have to look exactly what you're going to do or, or else it's not going to happen or whatever. I like how you were saying that you've, it's just evolved yes, over time. Yes, totally. And that's, that's how it has to be. Like I am still making tweaks and evolving. Literally just last week, I was talking to my web guy on the back end. Mark me sold out on these things. I don't enjoy doing these kinds of consultations anymore. You know, I used to do this package where it was like a consultation and then text support as they were starting. And I was like, I can't, I can't be texting these people all day long. Like I just can't, like it's um, literally last week I like revised all of the things that I offer and I'm figuring out how many therapy clients I want to do a week. It's a constant evolution. And so I would tell anybody just like in whatever you're doing or whatever phase you're in, give yourself room to evolve because we have to be evolving. Well, and I'm sure the texting throughout the day would be really hard to set, set boundaries of like, this is when I'm working this totally. Yep. You know? And like for having your phone with our phones in general, it's hard to set boundaries yeah. because you always have your email. You always have your texts. Like you, it's, it's on you. And so I, I think that's good for you to kind of figure out what is working and what totally. doesn't. Well, I wanted to ask you, I feel like you being a therapist, you see a lot about a lot of different relationships. What would you say are your big takeaways of how to have a healthy relationship and then kind of why sleep is important for our relationships? Yeah. Um, So honestly, my one biggest piece of advice for marriages is to preserve the friendship because It is so much easier to love somebody that you genuinely like. And so treat your marriage the way that you would treat any other friendship that matters to you. You know, think about how you treat your friends. You probably aren't nagging them all the time and you're giving them the benefit of the doubt and you are thinking about fun stuff that you can do together or you're talking to them and relating with them and you care about what they have to say and how their day was and you're listening to them. Like, If we can treat our marriages like friendships and let that love continue to deepen over time, it's going to be so much easier. Like so, so many people will say things like, you know, I love you, but I don't have to like you. Or I love you, but I just don't like you at all. Or maybe... Maybe I just hear that all the time because I'm a marriage therapist. <laughs> You're like, uh, people don't say that. Everyone's like, I'm ready to be done with this. So, yeah, man. but like if you can stay best friends with your partner, it's going to make everything so much easier. Uh, and then the other thing that I think I've along those lines that, you know, if I'm going to toot my own horn and say what well, I think Tom and I have done really well with doing it's that we laugh together we we have a lot of humor in our relationship even when it's about tense things or things that could otherwise be tense owning our own flaws and mistakes probably a couple weeks ago now you know we were kind of like butting heads about something and I can't even remember what it was but we were butting heads and we weren't seeing eye to eye And I just like stopped and I I was in the bathroom. I think I was about to wash my face and I like stopped and I put my washcloth down and I was like, look, 
babe, here's the thing is that I want to be right and I want you to tell me that you're wrong and I just want to get my way and have you not complain about it. So can we just like do that part, please? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I can tell. And I was like, I know, but I just like really want to get my way. But like just that reframe of pausing and acknowledging like I'm kind of being a spoiled brat right now but I'd super love to just get my way and he's like "Uh yeah I can tell it totally shifted the whole dynamic of everything because I could own and like it wasn't this like negative like yeah you're always like you never listen to me or you never hear me or you just it has to be your way or the highway like it wasn't this negative thing But it's the same dynamic of I'm being stubborn and I just want him to agree with me and I want to get my way. But the way that we can talk about it and relate on it, like brings the intensity way, way down and brings the camaraderie and like, I don't know, the teamwork, it brings it back. And so I think keeping in the spirit of keeping the friendship strong, I think the two main parts are being able to have humor and the benefit of the doubt, and prioritizing time with each other. Tom and I are very good about going on dates and especially going on trips and not feeling guilty. Like, we make it a point. Prior to COVID, I mean, COVID kind of stopped everything, but prior to COVID, even when we didn't really... Are you so glad to go on a vacation again? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. But like, before COVID kind of shut everything down, we were really good about getting away for a weekend once every six months and close to a week once a year. Like, and yes, it was hard to find childcare or, you know, we did a lot of date swaps with friends or, you know, an overnight trade, you know, where like your kids can come spend the night at my house for a Saturday night and then vice versa prioritizing time with each other away from your kids is so important. You can think of a thousand excuses why you can't or shouldn't, but don't do it. It is so good. You fall in love with your partner all over again when it's just the two of you. I know it's, it's crazy how much like kids add stress to a relationship. And then I feel like me and Nate, we try to do one trip a year and we've lived away from family. So usually it's just like, you know, we'll go for a week or 10 days or something like that. It's amazing. All of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel like we're newlyweds again and we're spending so much time together. And I feel like even just getting away from work and not having all these other things that are interfering with your relationship, you know, you're trying to have a conversation and then it's like, oh, sorry, I have to answer this email or I got to do this. And so it's just nice to take a break from normal life and just be. Totally. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that one. So Nate's already planning a trip for next year when I'm done. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> He's like, all right, how many months are you breastfeeding for? Okay. Let's totally. plan a trip. And I mean, so, if you just um, think about, I, I have a friend one time that talked about it in terms of marriage insurance. She's like, look, you pay money to insure all of the assets that matter to you. You pay car insurance, you pay life insurance and medical insurance and homeowners insurance and flood insurance. And like all, she listed all of the insurances that we pay. And it's like, why would you not set aside money in your budget to pay for marriage insurance? Whether that's marriage counseling or date nights or getaways. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Like 
I know not everybody is in the same financial position, but like send your kids to their grandparents or to a friend's house for an overnight and you guys like load up and go camping or just come back to your very own house, but promise you're not going to do like household chores. It doesn't stop making excuses and just make it happen. Your marriage is the most important asset that you have from a financial and a life well-being standpoint. It's true. And there are studies that support that. And you probably see that a lot because a lot of the people that you're working with probably are having troubles with their, their marriages. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, if I'm being like super blunt or like the sassy kind of crass version of myself, sometimes I just feel like, okay, you can pay for marriage counseling or you can pay for a divorce attorney. And guess what? That divorce attorney is not going to bat an eye charging you $500 an hour. So where, where are you going to spend your money? Cause it's the money's going to get spent. Not, that's not to say that like you have to do marriage counseling or you're going to get divorced, but like, I think, so now I soften that and like make it more realistic, like invest your time and energy in the things that will keep your marriage strong. It truly will pay off. It's so important. And so then how have you seen that getting good sleep has affected marriages or relationships? Okay. So if I'm just totally blunt here, like let's take a look at how we feel when we're sleep deprived. It's kind of like how we feel when we're hungry. We're grumpy, we're snappy, we have less patience, we have a shorter temper. And I think as for a lot of moms, we do a better job buffering that from our children and then our spouses get the brunt of it. Even if I'm sleep deprived and exhausted, yeah, my kids probably get some of the snappy impatient too, but my spouse for sure gets more of the snappy impatient. Or, you know, he comes home from a long day of work and he sits down to turn on a football game. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? I've been with these children all day long. Are you joking? Instead of like, you know, it could be the same like, hey, now's not a good time for a football game. You know, like even just a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, babe, there's like a lot of stress happening right now. Can I have your help as everybody winds down? Like, can you watch this game on replay? He was like, oh, yeah, totally. But like when I'm sleep deprived, uh, that's not the way that conversation happens. That's not how nope. it comes out. <laughs> uh-uh. But like, hey, babe, it's a little bit stressful right now. Could you help? Is different. <laughs> you know me. I don't sugarcoat anything. And I'm a marriage therapist, so I hear all. But like I cannot tell you how many people have told me like now that my baby is sleeping, I finally want to have sex again. Or like, I haven't had sex in six months since my baby was born because I'm exhausted and I'm touched out and I never get a free moment. But now that I can put my baby down and I don't have to rock them to sleep and nurse them to sleep or have them in bed with me, now I have the bandwidth to have that component of our relationship again. And like sex is a huge part of marriages. And so if it, if having a baby that sleeps well allows you to get better sleep, to feel happier, less snappy, you have your body back a little bit. Like it's all, all of these things are really good. Yeah. You're getting me all, all ready. I, we're ha- we just have a few more weeks till we have yep. our baby. So what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Uh, seeing the transformation, seeing that 
or hearing about and knowing that I've experienced it myself, but like seeing the shift from overwhelmed, bogged down, feeling guilty and inadequate to feeling happy and free and joyful. I always say that like getting good sleep helps you reclaim the magic of motherhood. And when I can see people feel that magic again with themselves, with their kids, with their spouses, that is so rewarding. I love that so much. Do you have any stories or examples you want to share? Gosh, I mean a thousand, but I feel like it's just all, it's just all the same. It's all the same kind of storyline. Like if we stop and think for a second, like what would it feel like to wake up? I always joke about, you know, I have all girls, but I joke about like the intro. The, the very beginning of Cinderella when she like gets out of bed and she's like singing with the birds and she's whistling and she like opens her window. It's like, what? That's how it feels when we wake up after a good night of sleep. And it's like, hello, children. Hello, husband. I love everybody. This is wonderful. And that's, you know, seeing the moms that are, you know, like I, I have one mom that I worked with recently where like, I'm going to be honest, there were times that I was like, do we need to get you, like, hospitalized? Like, she was really, 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 really low. And to see her take that deep breath and smile and put on makeup and go on a date with her husband and laugh, like, it, the transformation was, like, shocking. And in just a couple days of, like, oh my gosh, this baby is sleeping and I can do it and I know what to do and I'm not stressed out and I'm not overwhelmed and now I have the time to go to therapy and now, like, it, that that was probably one of the most drastic transformations I've ever seen. That's awesome. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to that are first-time moms. Okay, so you need to get on Instagram and you need to follow my friend Chrissy and she's going to help you and you're going to feel so much better. The other day I was even talking to somebody and I was this friend, she's this sleep consultant and she's like, is it the peaceful sleeper? She knows Aww. who you are. And it was, anyways, I was like, yes, it is. Having the tools to be able to say, okay, this is how we're going to do this. It ha there's like so much confidence. Look at all these other people that have done it and their kids are fine and it's going to work out. You kind of talked about earlier about how parents feel guilty for teaching their kids to sleep. Why do you think that they feel guilty and what do you wish everyone knew about sleep? Yeah, I think, I think they feel guilty because it feels like I'm doing this thing to you because I want better sleep. I'm going to let my child suffer because of something that I want. And so my counter argument to that is, A, it is not letting our children suffer. It's just not. Like food, sleep, love, and safety are the most important things that we need as human beings to survive and thrive. Sleep is in that top list. Like sleep deprivation takes a toll in so many ways. When we have good sleep, it promotes optimal physical development, emotion regulation, intellectual development, social development. Like getting good sleep is a gift. There is sometimes protest in that transition, but protest does not mean bad. 
I think of my little tiny newborns who would protest when I would change their diaper because they got cold or who would protest being buckled in their car seat because they didn't want to be in the car seat. Like I would never in a million years think, oh my gosh, my sweet little baby, she's crying in the car seat. I'm just going to hold her in my lap because she just doesn't like it. Like, no, that would be, that would be dangerous and that would be not meeting their needs or, you know, pulling a baby out of a bath, they protest. When Nolan, just a couple of months ago, was learning how to crawl, like she was on her belly and she was scooting forward and she knew she wanted to get to the toy and she just like couldn't do it. And every time she kind of like pushed her hand forward, she would like roll back and she was so mad. And she was protesting, but she was developing. And I would never say like, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie, you don't like tummy time, you don't ever have to do it. Or like, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie, you're protesting this crawling thing um so it must be bad for you yeah exactly and so my the thing that I think sets my approach apart is acknowledging that there is no one-size-fits-all for parents I want you to be empowered to be your child's sleep expert and there are just a couple hard and fast rules that we can pay attention to to set the stage for optimal sleep So we want to prevent overtiredness, we want to tune in to their cues and their needs, and we want to consistently provide the space and time for them to sleep well. And then if you want to do some modified cry it out to expedite the process of them learning how to fall asleep on their own, awesome. I recommend that, but you do not have to do that. You can still do a quote unquote no cry sleep training approach and still do those things. The reason that I say quote unquote no cry is because there's no such thing as no cry anything because babies cry and they protest, you know? So like you can't do no cry walking or no cry car seats or no cry. Like there's, there's no such thing as something that guarantees to not have your baby cry because it shouldn't be our mission as parents to make sure that our babies never cry. But like, Getting, you can get good sleep in a myriad of ways. You, I just want people to prioritize it and realize how important it is. And we can't, we can't pretend like maternal mental health isn't also a critical component of parent-child attachment. It just, it just is. And maternal mental health isn't something that it's like, oh, just get over it. Like stop being selfish. Like maternal mental health is critically important and our babies thrive when we are doing well. And so if you can realize that helping your baby get good sleep helps their intellectual, physical, emotional, and social development, and it positively impacts your mental health, your emotional and social development, your well-being, like uh, why wouldn't we want to prioritize sleep for the whole family? It doesn't mean it has to look the same for everybody, but let's prioritize it. It's like one of the most important things we can do. I love that. I think that that's so awesome. And I feel like surrounding sleep training and even just parenting in general, there's a lot of mommy shaming. I guess you could just call it totally. shaming. It doesn't have mm-hmm. moms only. But um, what advice do you have to help stop the culture of shaming others for doing things differently than I think one, recognizing that we all want the same outcomes. We all want healthy, happy, protected, well-adjusted children who can be contributing members of society. Of course, we have different ways that we think are optimal for arriving at that. 
Take the health and wellness industry. Like how many different approaches are there to medicine, to diet, to exercise, to to personal training? How many different therapy approaches are there? Of course people have different, how many different religions are there? Like if we can understand that we all want the same things, we just have different ideas about the best way to get there as we should because we are all different as parents and we have different babies and it would be boring and frankly dangerous if we all did the same thing the same way. Like we are supposed to have variety. Our ecosystem could not survive if there was only one kind of plant and one kind of tree and one kind of animal. Variety is critical for evolution and survival. So of course we have variety in the way that we parent. So we all need to just chill out for a second, set our pride aside, listen to understand other people and acknowledge that, hey, you know what? We're more alike than we are different you do you, I'm going to do me. High five. Isn't it awesome that we get to do things differently? Yeah. I've seen posts and things like that. that you're Okay. We're going to talk about this, but let's not shame each other or different things. And I think the internet, it's a really easy way for people to say things that they probably wouldn't say to somebody's face. So much of us trying to receive validation is if we surround ourselves with people who do things the same way as us, or maybe think the same way as us, then somehow you feel more secure that you're making the right choice. The better way to do things is to have a variety of friends, a variety of people who think and do things differently and being confident that you're making the best choice for your kid and it doesn't have to be the same as the way that all your friends are doing it or the way that other people do that. And so, but I think you have to come from a more secure standpoint instead of seeking for other people to say, oh, you're doing such a good job. You're such a good yes. But that you're, that you really are, oh, I know that this is the best choice for my kid, even if this is not the most popular way. To yes. Do and I think you're, you're exactly right that really what is at the root of all of it is confidence. Like if I am confident in where I'm at and what I'm doing, then I don't feel threatened if other people do it differently. It's like, okay, awesome, cool. And just realizing that, yeah. like, there's no 100% agreement about every, anything. Like, some people hate chocolate or, like, ask people what, their, what the best fruit is and you'll hear 100 different answers. Like, there, of, of course, parenting is not going to be any different. We're supposed to have variety. So I don't understand. Like, sometimes I just, like, truly don't understand this culture of mom shaming. It's like, where is this even coming from? But, I mean, on the other hand, I do understand it because everybody's made. I think, like, it's one of those things that is so cyclical. Like, somebody's made to feel bad about the choice that they made, and so they dig their heels in, and then they try and make other people feel bad about the choices that they've made, which makes them feel shame and dig in, and it just, like, look, let's just stop. I just wanted to ask you about writing your book, Mm -hmm. what that experience was like for you, if you felt intimidated by writing it or what the process was like. Yeah, so if I had set out to write a book, I never would have done it. I started, my original thought was I'm going to make a website that just teaches people this approach to sleep training and helps moms feel empowered. So 
I started out just writing kind of this bare bones, basic, here's how you do it for a website. And when I finished it, I was like, this is way too much for a blog. Nobody's going to read this because it's way too long. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just like round it out and like make it a guide. And then I, it just kind of like one thing led to another. And then even when I first like did it, you know, I just self-published on Amazon and I, I wrote my book and literally sat on it and did nothing for a year uh, because I was intimidated. But even when I did start talking about it, I would say like, I wrote a little guide or like I called it a pamphlet. Like it took so much for me to actually start calling it a book because I, I didn't set out to write a book. And I think that's one of the things that I know for myself is like, I have really big dreams and goals, but sometimes I have to just make things very bite-sized and one thing at a time and just let it evolve into something bigger or else I'm going to get intimidated and stop in my tracks. Like I said in the very beginning when I started this whole thing, I had all this time and energy and not I didn't have a full caseload yet, so I would just go to my therapy office and sit in my couch in my yoga pants with my Dr. Pepper and I would just write and like, all right, let's see. Let's see what happens with this. If nothing happens, it's fine because at least I'm out of the house and filling up the time and not driving myself crazy that I don't have a full caseload yet. It really was just kind of a like, it's, I kind of treated it the way that I treated all these other hobbies that I did, like making my girls bows and sewing them curtains. Like, eh, this isn't going to be that good and it's not really going to amount to anything, but let's just do it because it fills the time. And then once I did it, I was like, okay, let's take this to the next step. Let's do this. Well, I love your book. I think it's so great. And I love reading, but sometimes parenting books are just so hard to get through because they're so long. Nothing that keeps coming back, but I love your book because short and to the point and you get all the information you need without feeling like you had to dedicate a whole week of your life or a month or six months because I, it's hard for me to keep coming back to some of these books, you know, but that you could just get the information quickly. And so anyways, I recommend it to anybody, especially anyone who has little kids. I did sleep training with Hayden, just kind of this version that you just kind of look up. And then I remember reading your book and with Liam, I felt so much more confident and okay, this is how we're going to do it. And there are just so many good tidbits that were. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. I have one last question for you, and that's if you could go back in time and give yourself advice at any stage of life, where would you go and what would you say? I think I would go back to, I think I would go back to 17-year-old me and like, gosh, that is so hard. I would go back, yeah, late teen, early 20s version of me, and I would just tell her, like, take a deep breath, you're good enough one step at a time it's not a race and just like hold on and see where this crazy life takes you it's gonna be really really cool and I mean at the risk of like I don't want to sound like vain or arrogant or cocky or something but like I'm really I I wish that I could have like given 17 year old me a crystal ball to see like how happy I am and the family that I have and the things that I'm doing I and the things that I've done and just say, just like, hold on. It's going to be, it's going to be really good. You're going to be great. You're good enough. I just used to get in my head so much more and like wonder if I was good enough. And I wish I could just tell her like, you're good enough. Chill. 
Well, I think you're amazing. And I think that we all need to be told at certain points in our lives that we're good mm-hmm. enough and cut ourselves some slack. Cause I think that we're our own worst critics sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, for the most part, we're all doing great things and we're trying hard and none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. And there's many mistakes and things that we make along the way, but I think that it's good to say you're good yeah. enough. You're, you're doing a great yeah, job. Yeah, totally. Well, Chrissy, I love talking Thank with you. Thank you, Liz. I could talk to you forever. Um, this was so, so fun. fun. So, well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate you. This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. I really appreciate all your support. If this episode helped you, please share it with a friend. Feel free to reach out if you have any recommendations for topics or people that you would like to hear in the next upcoming episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week.